This is Julio Rodriguez, and this is the Lookout Landing Podcast. not be first and we're certainly not last but we are the lookout landing podcast welcome back everybody that was off the top of my head i'm pretty proud of it i'm not gonna lie my name is matthew robertson i'm the host of this show here the lookout landing podcast and today we have a very special guest uh joining us but first i want to introduce editor-in-chief or managing editor kate i don't really know what your title is uh, i just refer to you as boss lady a lot of the time uh, it's mm-hmm, kate Pruce here mm-hmm, what's up mm-hmm. kate supreme ruler slash dictator all these things work yeah but like a chill dictator you, know? <laughs> you give us like you give us a recess and stuff like that benevolent dictator meanie in chief bully that's one that's been lobbed around sometimes all these things i complete i contain multitudes you sure do and so does our guest uh we have on the other line, a former Mariner pitcher, current Mariner broadcaster, uh, let's see, what else? A lefty, an Australian, a uh, member of the hyphenated name club, and now a podcast host himself, Ryan Roland-Smith is here. Ryan, did I miss anything in that intro? No, you didn't. I'm, I'm still a little upset at the fact that I'm part of the hyphen name club. That used to be just mine, and then all of a sudden... These two dudes came, or three dudes now. I don't know what it is. It's brutal. So everyone's got hyphenated names now. We've got one in our own. We've got two in our own organization. I don't care. Uh, I don't, I don't care if they Jamie exist. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't want to know about them. It's just me, all right? Just, we could say you're the, the founder of the yeah, hyphenate. Perfect. Club. Perfect. There we go. Awesome. Founder is better. Yeah, we'll give you that title. Um, Ryan, we've been asking every guest this because there's not a lot to talk about. Uh, what have you been up to? And please don't give us the, oh, you know, I've been exercising, I've been cooking. Give us something you started doing during quarantine that you've never really done before. Um, exercising and cooking basically all day long. You know, that's, that's what I've been doing. Well, I wow. shared, <laughs> before I got on, I shared a cartoon. I, I'm pretty proud of my little two-minute cartoon, which I'm going to put out there at some point. It, it wasn't the best time. Basically, that thing, it's me and Grant Balfour. You mentioned the podcast. I had um, one of my best buddies, Grant Balfour, on the podcast, and, and it was just a, yeah. It, I'm trying to be serious. I'm trying to dive into a few things with him. But it's just like we're just acting like complete idiots. Um, so I made it, I made a cartoon. I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty proud of myself. A little two minute cartoon. I, I will put that up on Twitter or somewhere at, in the next couple of days. It's just been a crazy time, obviously. So it hasn't been appropriate um, to to throw it out there. But uh, you know, besides that, I've been um, you know stressing a lot and <laughs> about baseball. I mean, my mm-hmm, job, mm-hmm. you know, the career I'm trying to pursue here is tied to major league baseball and i'm sitting here thinking well what's going on again a lot of it out of their control but then you know watching sitting back from you know from afar watching this these negotiations not being a player anymore but asking some of the players and finding out what is the deal you know it it's it's been super stressful because man you know i need, I need to get i need to get my, my gig back you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> Talking about baseball. So, I mean, I, you know, there's that. I've been trying to, you know, pivot a little bit. I've got a business back in Australia where I help kids get into into um, playing college baseball and, and doing camps and everything back in Australia. So myself and um, other Australian big leaguer, Trent Olchin, have been trying to, ex-big leaguer, have been trying to just 
you know, do things online with the kids back home. I've been, I've been staying busy. Plus, you know, trying to do as much as I can on the homeschool. So I got two kids, a one-year-old and a five-year-old trying to, five-year-old's doing, just hates looking at the screen. It's all muffled. That Zoom session with five kids, not pressing mute, you know, <laughs> try, trying to, <laughs> try, try, trying to just walk over and click the mute button. You know what I'm saying? Just, just all the, all the usual stuff. And not, not, not too much cooking though. I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie. Not too much cooking, but, uh, just just trying to get just trying to get my routine back. It's been nuts, man. It's been a crazy time. Yeah. I love the honesty though. You don't have to cook. There's no rule that said during the quarantine no. we all have to learn how to cook. You can actually <laughs> you're zigging where everyone else is zagging. We love that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know what gets me though? I noticed this on, on, on Twitter or, or you know, people are like, Oh, you know, this is this is affecting me. It's like this is affecting everyone. Come on, like, do not like, uh, you, you know, go on Instagram or Twitter, and and uh, people want to. I feel like there's people out there acting like it's affecting them more than others. It's like, no, no, no. This is affecting all walks of life. What's going on right now? You know. So yeah. I, there, there is that comfort factor that you know that that it's not just me. I'm not the only one sitting at home. You know, trapped at home. Um, these last couple of months, I feel, you know, there is that comfort factor knowing everyone else is dealing with the same thing, I guess. I will be honest. Like, I feel a little like, but baseball, we know, we're supposed to be oh, yeah. going right now. Yeah. It's fine for you, NHL people. This is your off season anyway. Like, we're supposed to be out there. Yeah. That's so. a good point. You know, and, and it's, it, but here's the thing. Like, when you think about it, no idea when, from a, from a health standpoint, when you could actually get back to to normal, right? So there's really no clear cut. This is the day that baseball has to go back. So was was this going to happen any other way? You know what I mean? When you think about it, the the, the players union and the owners, not that they hate each other, but they're always going to have this this um you know this position of power that they have to beat each other and and everything else. Then you then you throw in the fact that there's all these different variables about. Can you have fans? Can you can you, can we even play? Is this going to stick around? No one knows when we're able to get back outside and do things. So was this ever going to be any different? I mean, surely they could have handled it different, 100. percent I got friends in Japan who are sitting back going, "Oh yeah, they 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 came up with a plan and boom." But um, you know, I, I was thinking about that today. I was like, "Was this going to go down any differently?" When you throw in all the sprinkling all these little factors, players' union owners not having a clue what date. Everything's getting back, and here we are, you know, looking at this craziness, which is baseball. Ryan, aside from the actual, like, act of being at the stadium watching a game, which we all miss, uh, what do you miss the most about baseball? Like, what little thing from the rhythm and flow of an MLB season do you find yourself missing the most? Part of that routine that you mentioned earlier, is there one thing that stands out that you're like, oh, I wish I could be doing that, even if it's something you didn't particularly like, just something that's part of your job that you're like, oh, I would give anything to be doing that right now. Well, I do love, you know, part of my job is getting to, you know, break down plays and and, uh, talk about pitching, especially. I I, I miss that massively. I went down to spring training and, um, you know, just getting back into into the booth to do that, um, it just reminded me, you know, I went from, in November, I went and did the Olympic qualifiers and that was just kind of free. That was, by the way, I mean, and, and I'm not I'm not knocking WBSC or anything like that, but it was basically like, oh yeah, we're just going to turn you on um, ten minutes before the game. There's no there's no producer, director, nothing. <laughs> it's just on you. So I'm sitting there like, oh, Free, freestyle. Literally, I, and I, I'm not joking. There was times where, unless the US was playing um, a day game, which I'm trying to think the time difference, 
maybe if people are watching in the states but there were some games i did a game a chinese taipei versus korea in english no one's watching and it's like 3 a.m in the states uh, could... excuse me i watched that game i right, tuned okay, in okay, okay. Well, i tuned you know in me. specifically I... to see you well you would have probably <laughs> found this entertaining i could have literally said anything i wanted yes. like literally you know what i'm saying and and i'm sitting there but at, at the same time it was just it was it was you know i went from you know september october and then getting a chance to do that and then i went back to australia I'm like re- i'm really missing i cannot wait to get back to just talking about you know some of the little the intricacies of the game go to spring training i'm all amped i'm getting back in that routine and that mode to do it i'm trying to get better at it and everything else and then boom i'm sitting at home and doing these podcasts over zoom i'm like oh my god like this this is a struggle that that's i really miss that man i i, I miss watching and and from the mariners point of view for example obviously i'm covering the mariners the most um i was just so excited to you know see these young guys in their infancy i couldn't wait to to to, to sit there and, and watch you know justice sheffield struggle and why he struggles and there's it's a lot more looming when when the kid's young um doing his thing and you can point out so many different things and you know knowing that you know i've been there before where you've struggled as a young player you kind of you can have his back and you can kind of say well this is why this this that and the other and you know i i do miss all those little things um that's for sure and just again baseball in general man i didn't realize how much i missed sitting down just having pitch hit the ball run in front of me you know it's crazy until until the until here i am sitting here staring at my dog who's laying on the bed right <laughs> you know what I mean? other yeah. than sheffield is there any other player you were a pitcher specifically you were specifically excited to watch who you know either in the minor leagues or someone who's maybe on that cusp of getting a call up anyone specifically you were really excited to watch this year uh on the pitcher standpoint you know all the all the obvious ones um you know obviously justice sheffield he just looked and kate you, know, you can back this up definitely um he he just looked i think uh, you know with having having pete woodworth the pitching coach with him uh, you know I, and that comfort level, the expectation had simmered a little bit on him because he had struggled a little bit. He just looked really comfortable. And I was like, oh, man, if he, if he can just get to this place where, you know, it's the same heart rate and the same, yeah. you know, pace as what he was doing in AA, oh, man, this is going to be fun. He can, th- he can throw that change up on a 2-0 count and that slider can come to life and all these little things. That was going to be a lot of fun. Um, and then after, I guess, you know, with, um, with Justin Dunn, I'd never met him, I'd never spoke to him. And I always, I always look at this from a personal level. I need to, like, I really want to get to know these guys or, you know, from that sort of point of view or watch how they, you know, discuss, do their post-game interview and stuff like that. But I, I did a podcast with Justin Dunn. I was like, oh, man, he's just a good dude. Just a really good dude, and, and he has that that cockiness about him, that chip on he his does. shoulder. He's got a yeah. conf- I would say he's more confident than he's yeah. cocky, but he definitely has a little swag, which I think is something. I mean, we've got Marco, who's got his own fiery persona, but no, I mean, Justin Dunn will like kind of moonwalk off the mound sometimes <laughs> after he strikes a guy. Like Dunn has a different level of swag. Right. Yeah, absolutely, and, and and just you know, again, I'm more of you know, I don't want to sound, you know, cheesy here, but when I when I get a chance to meet someone on more of a personal level or, or have some sort of conversation where it's like, oh, this guy, he's he's he'd be a friend of mine in the clubhouse. All of a sudden, like, man, I really you you can't wait to watch these guys play. You know what I'm saying? And, and uh, yeah, Marco, Marco's you know, he's awesome, man. I mean, you can't get any better as far as like what he sort of represents for this organization in this time than him. But um, some of these young guys, I just, 
you know, just putting it all together and, and you know, and, and Kate, you've probably seen him a lot more than I have, but, uh, you know, Logan Gilbert, just seeing what he's all about. I want to see that that extension he gets, that, that um, you know, and, and that, that uh, the perceived velocity when he's so much closer to a hitter and just see him make mistakes middle of the zone and just get bad swings. That would have been fun to watch uh, at some point, either this year or next year. So all these young guys, man, it's just a bummer because now, yeah. how you, like, how are you going to evaluate and... And and even, you know, project these guys when you're playing what sixty or whatever it is, sixty games. I mean, that's just that's just such a bummer for these young guys. You know what I mean? It really is, and I'm personally probably most disappointed about getting to watch Logan Gilbert face tougher and tougher. That inning or two innings, I guess, the start he had against the Angels in spring training. I don't know if you're there for that, but he put down the Angels' top top of the order top hitters. Uh, including like their top prospect Joe Adele and Brandon Marsh, a couple big guys coming up for them, and he just carved through them like it was butter, like it was nothing. And I was like, oh man, this is this is a significant, this is a real coming out party for him. And I was so excited for him to carry that momentum forward, and so speaking, disappointing. By the way, speaking of Joe Adele, I, I watched him. He was over at Team USA in in um, November. He, he's legit. I mean, he, he's going to be fun to watch. Just yeah, like, we're, we're gonna not fun for us because he's right. playing against us. Oh, hey, come on! I mean, we, we, <laughs> after I hear, but after those winter meetings was that couldn't have worked out any more perfect for the Mariners with where they're at and with the Texas Rangers. Who knows what they're up to? No idea. <laughs> All the, the high school pitchers—that's what they're up to. They're just oh, love building it. a giant stable of high school pitchers. Don't, don't don't ever pick high school pitchers high up in drafts. Come on. Trust me, man. I, I've been around enough of them from rookie ball, A ball. You're like, you're a bonehead, dude. Just go <laughs> go straight college pitcher for pitchers. Position play is different. I, I, but when you're talking about pitchers, it's just straight, just, you know, guys who they get paid, you know, way too much cash when they're 18 years old. And I, I mean, I could rattle off names through the minor league, the minor league history of the Seattle Mariners of just guys. I'm like, oh, man, what a, what a disaster that was. But, but, so uh, I'm assuming you like Emerson Hancock as the pick? Yeah, I mean, how can you not? You know, I feel like, and I hate to say like a safe pick here, but I mean, it is, was he 6'4", just 215, just a chance to, you know, if, if he if he comes in and that plays player development from the Mariners and, and, you know, is on point and they can, you know, they, they can turn him into a big leaguer. And, you know, a lot, a lot of that's, and a lot of that he's lost too, man. I mean, look at these drafts and everything else and you want the team to draft really well, but... Who do you have? Who are your lieutenants underneath Andy McKay who are all on the same page, right? All have this same way of doing things. You can bring in a 20-year-old kid and say, this is how we do it here, right? And I'll give you an example. So, like, when I first got to the Mariners, um, I was 18 years old, right? Ooh. And, uh, yeah, 2001. Were you, were you an international? You were an international free draft. Yeah, yeah, international yeah. International yeah. draft. Right, yeah, free yeah, agency. international free agent. Yeah, so come gotcha. over. Um, yeah, is this so your I'm, first time in the states at this point? Oh, absolutely, dude. I, <laughs> I was just, I, I was like, what is this place? Peoria. Where did you, where did you grow up, Ryan? Did you uh, did you yeah, grow up in like there. a big city, smaller city? Where where? I grew up. I grew up in Newcastle. So like, to, if you drive, if you fly into Sydney, you drive two hours up the coast, um, oh. and it's it's a beach town. Oh. I would. I wouldn't call it a small town. It's not like, you know, one of these, like, you know, some of these, speaking of these kids who, who come into the minor league system and they're from the middle of, you know, Texas, 
where there's one stoplight. That's not <laughs> Newcastle. Newcastle is. Um, are we on the Gold Coast? Sorry, I only nah, know that from, from nah, House okay. Hunters. <laughs> I, actually, what was the show? The Bachelor. The the Bachelor. They were just in the on the Gold Coast. I was driving my wife nuts. I'm like, oh, this is completely edited. There's no way that helicopter could get from that location to that location. She's like, I don't care. Shut up. <laughs> no. Because my, uh, my, my half my family lives on the Gold Coast. The Gold Coast is like if you were to continue driving up the East Coast, another eight hours. But Newcastle is kind of like I call Australia's best kept secret. It's unreal. It's like a, it's a good sized town, maybe a city, not really. It's on the beach, awesome beaches, parking still free. You know what I mean? It's it's um Whoa. it's it's a great spot. Anyway. This sounds like parrot. The people of the Newcastle needs to hire you to be their PR person because. Yeah, that's another hat you can wear. Yeah, that's hey, what the well, Newcastle Tourism Department to sponsor yeah. us. <laughs> hey, hey, speak, speaking of that, actually, a couple of years ago they had the the first ever, um, and I'll get back to first time in the states uh, yeah. in one second. Sorry, I, I'm going to get I'm going to get sidetracked here for sure. But um, a couple of years ago they had like Australia's version of like NASCAR, right? Like it's called um, um, the the V8 supercars. All right, now I'm I'm not a big car person whatsoever, but Newcastle were willing to host it. And Newcastle such has like this a very small town mentality where it's like you know if one person says something it, the whole town knows it you know what I mean like I got friends I'll go back to Newcastle and, and a couple of my buddies just will sit there on Derby Street which is like you know with all these like cafes and coffee shops and stuff and um, they're like oh hey Tomo how you going hey Michael how you going mate like this I'm like oh my god dude <laughs> like how do you know them oh that's so and so's buddy it, it, that's kind of how it is but it's a lot bigger than that you know what I mean so that's kind of the feel of the place but. Newcastle held this um, V8 supercars, this a race, and it was massive, right? So, and again, I'm not a big car person. I don't even watch it, but it's so cool because like they they put a ton of money into building the track and and the infrastructure around there, and it became like a little bit of a tourist spot for like basically Newcastle was on show for like a weekend, and and the the footage like basically the helicopter or the drone footage or whatever around the coastline, it made Newcastle look amazing. And I remember, so people always I mean, ask Newcastle me, sounds amazing from this. Like, I, now, when we have travel reopened, I'm going to be looking up flights to Newcastle. I do it. You're kidding. If you, like, seriously, like, if, if you don't have kids, just drop the, I know it's expensive. It's like, you know, it's, it's going to cost you, you know, you, well, it could be US, Australian dollars struggling at the moment. It's going to cost you a round trip, you know, one, right at the beginning of summer. It's going to cost you like 1200 bucks. But everything once you get to Australia because you got US dollars is going to be pretty reasonably priced. Drive up the East Coast, drop into Newcastle, go go further up the coast, you'd love it. But anyway, so so back to this. So I was vocal on I don't know Facebook or someone, and and um, someone from the Newcastle Herald picked up on that and asked me, "Hey, what do you what are your thoughts on this?" Because a lot of the locals weren't happy about this race being there, and I was like, and I I said this, I did this whole spiel about. Um, you know about how it was, it was it just showed Newcastle and how good this place is, blah blah blah. You know this whole thing, and it was so funny because um, and people ask me this in the states all the time, like, oh, do people in Australia know who you are? Like, I'm some, you know, like, are you kidding? No one knows. No, no one has a clue who I am back in Australia. Like, not even right. But the it was so funny Whoa. because you, you go on I would Facebook. I hope they would. Oh, no, no <laughs> chance. Baseball community, yeah, like people in the baseball community, but that's a very small community, right? But anyway, so here I am I, on, on this guy's put this post on Facebook and with the link to my quote in the article saying, oh, um, ba- you know, um, pro- professional athlete um, 
something like I'm some big deal and all the comments like who's this dude like who's this, <laughs> this guy is who's this like it's basically like 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 as if to say it's like they were saying oh Hugh Jackman says this but actually but everyone's like who the hell is this guy it was hilarious <laughs> yeah it's like I'm reading this just like I just want to press delete 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 or just fire back to people it's so funny man it's like it was just funny but anyway anyway so I come over I was 18 and um going to Peoria and just nothing there like i mean there's all little restaurants and hotels and stuff like that there's nothing there and i'm like what is this place man it's it's a town in the middle of the desert are you kidding me like a city I, i've never seen that before you know because we just don't have that in australia it was a huge culture shock my first year in the states that's for sure uh if you could do some things differently from your prospect years in terms of development or how you prepared uh what would you do having the benefit of hindsight you think you would change up your uh your process there yeah, you know what? The the fact that I was so oblivious, like if I grew up in the states, I would never have made it to the big leagues. Put it that way, because mm. it's friggin' hard, man. Like it's really hard to do it. So I went over. I was that naive that I went over to the states and just said, "Whoever works the hardest goes to the big leagues." <laughs> you know what I mean? Like whoever spends the most time in the weight room. That's how dumb I was. So basically, and back then, by the way, you know, I had um. Yeah, speaking of the podcast, I had James Clifford, who's the strength coach for the Mariners. He said the game's changed, man, a lot. Um, you know, back in two, when I came up, 2001, 2002, you had someone, if you worked hard and you were coachable and you were a good dude, you had someone sitting around the table in that front office meeting saying, hey, keep this kid. He's coachable. He's a good dude. He's a good part of this organization. Okay, boom, we're not going to release him next spring training. Now it's all on paper. Now it's like, well, this is what the metrics show us. This is what the analytics show us. Ah, see ya, gone. You know what I mean? There's a little bit of that lost um, definitely in, in today's game when they're evaluating players. Um, but that's how it was, man. My dad said to me, he goes, look, you were the first person um, to show up, last person to leave. And I used to work my off like every day you know just trying to just trying to survive i'm like man if i can get two years of professional baseball i'll be stoked and i'm pumped i'm throwing i'm throwing 86 miles an hour sign for 30 g's i'm like i got no shot you know and then i get over there and i just like i'm just gonna outwork everyone and i was around baseball every day and it's like it's so quickly how it's, it's so crazy how fast you pick up on things you know but as far as what would i change um I mean, the Mariners are taking guys who throw 86, 88. There's a kid named Darren McCacken, McCacken who they took out of Long Beach State a couple years ago, and they sent him through gas camp, and they've got him up to, like, the low 90s now. Like, do you think you would have benefited from something like that? Yeah, for sure. I, I, got, I, I did get lucky in the sense of um, I trained with a guy back in Australia. After my first year, I came back, and I didn't realize, I didn't know the science behind it. I do now. Like, I do now. I definitely do now. Um but back then, I didn't know the science. I was doing a ton of rotational training um, and a lot of, you know, different things that I that build that base. And then the icing on the cake now is, you know, the the overload, underload training, like the the weighted balls and everything else, and and what they do at you know, this gas camp, um, you know, the, the drive line stuff and everything else, right? But back then, um, you know, first of all, if, uh, put it this way: I, I went from pitching in one game a week, playing catch twice a week, to pl- throwing every day, and so there was that natural like growth. Uh, for me so when you know if you, when you hear that when the kids are on 86 or 87 they can go to gas camp or whatever it is and, and just start throwing gas i love it they didn't have that back in my day right so you, there was kids signing for 86 miles an hour and you know senior in college and they'll throw an 87 next year see you later you know what i mean so i did get lucky in that sense i was doing the right things but um how would i change things i would have i would have been more present 
Um, that's something I struggle with all the time. I'm just not present. Um, and I, I, I try and work really hard on, on, on staying present. I think there was times where I was in such a rush to try and um, get to the next level. And that, that was kind of my demise late in my career with the Mariners. That was the one thing that threw me off a cliff in 2010. But um, back then even, I remember that I took... I mean, six... to be fair, a lot of things went off the cliff in 2010. I don't... <laughs> you might have just been pulled off by like uh, rotational gravity at that oh, it, point. It, that was... <laughs> Oh man, that that was that was a that was a dark time. That's personally and as a team, man. That that was just a. And I'm you know, I'm happy happy to share a few stories there. But you know, it, it took me six and a half years. And I feel like there was a point there where you know about year three, year four, I was really moving. And then you know, again, there, there's always going to be hurdles and 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 speed bumps for everyone. But there was times that took me a lot longer because I got so there was so much frustration and and being so hard on myself and you know all these little things that i just could have avoided you know what i mean um that that's part of it i think uh and listening too much i listened to coaches way too much uh that was a big part of 2010 as well i listened to too many opinions and, and not just trusting myself you know? you know one thing that we've heard about kind of the development program around those times is that um there was not a unified message that the, no every coach kind of had their own message i mean this is a lot of times what's pointed to with the failure of mike zanino here is that yeah or ackley. When, i was gonna say ackley. yeah ackley yeah is well no uh, one was well, on message 100 percent. so i first got over there pat gillick was the gm and it was kind of the same it, the, the Mariners back then in 2001, right? I'll go through a little bit of a wave here and, and, and you know, a bit of a roller coaster with, you know, they, they had an identity, right? And I'm not talking about because they won 116 games. I remember they had, you know, from top to bottom, they had an identity. They were the Seattle Mariners. They were, there was a respect factor there. When you're in A-ball, you respect the people above you. Benny Looper was the farm director. And, man, he was nice guy, but you wouldn't – Mike Goff was another dude. He was the, um, the on-field coordinator. You wouldn't mess with these guys. You respected them. It didn't matter what level you're at. All of a sudden, Pat Gillick left. Uh, I think Bill Bavese took over after that. And it was just, there was just chop and change. Like you'd have a kid with a certain approach in, in high A with a coach get to double A. Oh, hey, this is how I hit. So you're going to hit like this. There wasn't that unified message whatsoever. And so it was just all over the place. And all of a sudden, I remember no one respected the farm director. No one respected the the um, on-field coordinator. No one respected the, the pitching coordinator. All these little things just it completely fell apart. And there was just no identity. I remember that was later on in my minor league career. They didn't know what they were doing. And it was just straight, I'm trying to keep my job. That guy signed for a ton of cash. Get him up there. Oh, he's not ready. Whatever. Let's just, let's just put him up there as quick as we can. A lot of that. Pat Gillick, man, you went level by level by level. And it was just yeah. rock solid. Every, every level, there was, there was studs. And then we just lost that. I mean, in 2010, too, or especially in those later 2000s, you're looking at a team that's failed with a lot of um, talent in the early 2000s, right? A team that's failed in 1995 with a great, you know, great opportunity. So I feel like there was a certain amount of panic, like, oh, yeah, just got to just got to cover my own ass and, and try to get this, try to get this done, try to try to get a winning team together without that real overall philosophy we're going to stick to this on days where it doesn't look great that's okay because the process matters more than the immediate product a hundred percent i'll give you I'll give you a couple uh you know a couple examples of that first of all 2008 bill bavese it was like all right you better win right now or, you, or you're or you're gone 
And um, that was that trade, Eric Bedard trade. And I get it, man. When you when you look at it, and again, I'm not knocking him for the trade whatsoever because who knows what would happen to Tillman? Who knows with, you know, with, with what would happen with anyone, really? Um, the players who were sent off to Baltimore. But that was basically... I'll give you an example. Myself, Brandon Morrow, the year before that, we went to win a ball because they're like, oh, we want to turn you guys into starters. So I was under the impression, and same with Brandon, that they were starting to, they were going to use us as depth. Okay, so we had good years in the, in the bullpen and then they wanted us to come back in 20, 2008 and I'm like, oh, I'm destined for AAA for sure as a starting pitcher. Next thing you know, we get to, we're about to go to spring training and Brandon and I were, were buddies and we're looking at each other like, oh, well, I guess so much for that off season. We just spent the whole off season working on that fourth pitch, working on this, that, and the other. <sighs> and then just like that, boom, someone told Bavesi, hey, start making some moves right now. And he said, oh, there's a free agent pitcher that was pretty decent. I was like, give him $48 million in Carlos Silva. Um, and then there was Eric Bedard was, was out there. And then, boom, all of a sudden, we're, here we are. And it's like we got off to a bad start because we weren't good. We just There wasn't the depth. There wasn't that... There just wasn't that. There wasn't that chemistry in the locker room at all. There was no leadership, right? And nothing against John McLaren, but man, he is not. And again, I'm you know, friends with him on Facebook. I see him around the traps. Great guy, but he is not built to be a manager, right? At all. And he was he was the manager that year, and he just couldn't handle situations. And I saw it firsthand. And on top of him was Bill Bavesi, who's just like, oh hey, hurry up and win a game, please, so I can stick around. That's how it was just, a, it was so toxic uh, from top to bottom. And then 2010, you know, I mean, I can dive into that year too, no problem. But it, there was just some, I went from 07, really good group of guys, good leadership, everything else, to um, 2008, to 2009, which was a blast, to 2010. It was like good, bad, good, bad, you know? Well, we got time. I mean, if you want to get into these 2010 stories, <laughs> yeah. I think that's, uh, yeah. it's, it's well, definitely like, I mean, it's a it's a tough thing to bring up. I'm sure you were living it. I mean, we were just watching it. But for Mariner fans, <laughs> well, you know it's what? like it is that dark spot in the team history. It, it it really was, man, and that's why, like, you know, I, I spoke to to Adam Ray. He's a comedian um, who's doing really well now as a comedian. But he grew up in Seattle and he grew up in the '90s. And then, you know, talking to Matt Boyd the other day on my podcast as well. He grew up in Seattle, and so they're they're reminiscing about these Seattle stories. And you know, talking to them. They're talking about, well, I was you know, a fan and I used to go to the kingdom and blah, blah, blah. So I'm like, they hit the, their childhood started when they were the right age to when Mariners just went off, right? Like that 95 and, and then that 95, 2001 period where if you're a kid, you're like, oh, I love this team. You know what I mean? Um, and then- Yes, you I know, know what you mean. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I was talking to Matt Boyd and he's like, oh yeah, the mid 2000s. I'm like, eh, you're not going to have that same attachment to the team. I feel like that even with the broadcasting. I feel like, you know, because- I work with Mike Blouse, Dan Wilson, who great guys. And you, when I'm walking around with them, they're legends. So it's funny, you know, talking to Matt Boyd and, and some of the, these these younger, you know, guy, guys who are in there like, you know, 10 years younger than me. I'm like, oh, I, I feel bad in a way. I'm like, man, you had to witness that as a teenager, you know, and you probably, you're playing baseball, most likely, or you play sport and you're watching the Mariners and you had to watch 2008, 2010. It's like, oh my God. So it was, I feel bad in a sense. And then, you know, I'm walking around with Dan Wilson, Mike Blowers, and they just have these great memories, Mariner memories. And you, you know what I mean? And it's just like, oh, I'm, I'm envious of that because I'm like, man, you guys were in such a good era of baseball. Yeah, they had the golden era. <laughs> you yeah. got not the golden era. Right. So, wait, wait, so 2010, man, it, it, where do I start with that? It was, 
And I'm not, look, I'm not one to point fingers uh, personally with what I did. I was, I, I just watched video. So I'm doing this um, online class for kids back in Australia where we talk about mindset, mantra, mantras and stuff for pitching and then mechanics, biomechanics and all the science and stuff. So I do it every Friday, Saturday night for the next month. Anyway, so I've got these clips um, of 2009, 2010. Um, and it just takes me back, when I watch the games of 2010, it just takes me back to a dark place and it sucks because I'm like, I wasted all that that period in my life. I'm like, I'm a major league pitcher. And I was miserable. You know, I was seeing a, a you know, I was basically seeing a, a therapist to get me for the for my for my head. It was crazy. I was just a mess. And that was too not not to not to get all doom and gloom. No, here, but, but was that I'm curious if that was something that the team um suggested or if that yeah, was something well, that you saw I, I reached, on your own. I reached out to the team privately and just said, Hey, I need to speak to someone. This is not good. Like I'm I'm in a dark place. And uh, this was, you know, halfway through the season roughly and uh you know, it was um Rick Griffin put me on to put put me on to a guy who was in Issaquah and it was just it was relaxing. I'd just go there and I could just vent. You know, I could just mm. talk and just get some techniques and stuff like that, you know. Um, it did help me, but um, I was, again, I wasn't present at all. I was just like, I just want this I just want this nightmare to end. This is crazy. <laughs> I'm arbitration eligible, and I'm just completely just, just derailing my career right now. But I was watching these clips back the other day because I want to sit there and record, you know, when things don't go well for these kids. Like, what are you thinking about your mindset and stuff like that? It was it was the hardest fifteen minutes of my life. I'm like, oh my god, not of my life, sorry. Of like, you know, just of recent times. I'm like, I can't watch this. I just can't watch it. It's brutal, you know. So, but anyway, 2010. I mean, it was, you know, it was again one of these situations where um, Jack Sorensic, not a fan whatsoever, and that's from something that happened in 2009. Actually, <laughs> that's all um, right. We're not huge fans either. Just lay, yeah. lay it out. I, it was the way I was handled in 2009. There was a situation that went down um, that was just absolutely brutal. Um, I can dive into that story if you want me to. Um, we would love you to. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I'll get to that in a second. But anyway, 2010, you had. You know, Don Wakamatsu and his staff all of a sudden went from when they had Mike Sweeney, Ken Griffey Jr. in 2009, and, and it was all all roses, right? Everyone was having a blast. Well, then they they could handle the clubhouse. All of a sudden, when things started to go awry, they just couldn't handle it, and, and no one could handle it. It was just, you know, you had Sean Figgins and Casey Kochman in the corner, just complete cancer spread. Ugh. You know what I mean? It was brutal. I'm telling you right now, those two guys, man, I've never seen a duo completely just disrupt just detach or sorry just just so destructive in the clubhouse mm -hmm. unbelievable um so wait in what way though are they actively talking to people telling them you're dog shit things like that or are they just not no. talking to anyone kind of big timing every, no, everyone the, in the clubhouse the 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 flip side of that it, it was um first of all sean figgins i played against him you know years prior to that and he had a big smile on his face and i'm like man what a teammate he looks great um you know buddy of mine rich thompson who played with the angels I remember asking him around, I'm like, oh, what's Figgins like? And I just really got no reply. And then after 2010, I'm like, dude, Figgins, mate. And he's like, yeah. <laughs> well, he was with me. I was like, oh. So in, in other words, put it this way, Fan Fest 2010, I roll in. I'm all excited because I love that stuff. You know, I love like doing all that kind of stuff. Well, well, Sean Grinley, bless his heart, um, paired me up with Kochman and Figgins. He goes, oh, I'll put you with the, the two new guys and, and you can kind of you know, hang out with them and show them around. Show them blah, the blah, blah. Yeah, no yeah, worries. Sure. So I rock up. I'm like, "Hey guys, hey, I'm all excited." They're like, um, "They're like, how long's this?" Like, straight up, just met someone, like Sean Grinley, right, a PR person, and they're like, "Oh, how long do we have to be here for?" 
Like just already complaining about having to be at FanFest. I was like, oh, Ugh. that's not, this ain't cool. <laughs> I'm not, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, and, and. Um, I have to say too, like having met you in person, there's like a palpable warmth that comes off of you. You are so jovial, so friendly, like so warm to, oh, and you. you bring so much positive energy. And then to not have that answered with it, like to just, you know, be sending out all these good vibes you're sending out and have that not answered at all. That, that's oh, sad. I mean, I can totally see it, but also that's a real black mark on someone's character for me. Brutal. So then, and then we start, we have to walk out to center field, like, like underneath, right? I turn around, boom, they just walked off. I was like, oh, thanks guys. You know, I'm like, God, oh, am I that, am I that lame? You know? And then I was like, <laughs> no. it was just unreal. And then it's like oh, high school. Wait. Oh man. The, the, the first you know, couple of hours I had to sit with them just bitching about the whole thing i was like are you kidding me so that's how it kind of started off and then it was literally like this when you asked me how they sort of it was it was talking about um the coaches and i'll tell you and this this is this stays true every year the the energy can go north or south at batting practice when you're standing out there shagging fly balls during batting practice and you get those clusters if you get there early enough and you see the clusters of groups that's when all the conversations happen that's when all the oh yeah man pitching coach is trying to make me do this I I'm, I'm not he sucks man or you know what about so and so he said this or you know what about who does so and so think he is that's when all the the rubbish starts and they were just the they were amazing at that those two guys <laughs> it was unreal if Figgins Figgins would take his ground balls at second base then he'd like slide out to right field but and I I'd always like being out right field there's more open you can catch more balls and stuff like that as soon as he slid back out I just went to the other side I went down the left field straight away <laughs> seriously it was just like no chance again but, this is a strong recommendation on your character as far as I'm concerned well just you know and, 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 and a part of that too and you know if if and I, it's, when you talk about that stuff by the way I grew up just remember and this is something I talked about being oblivious I grew up in Australia no one cares about baseball Right, no one gives you any props for playing baseball. So any little interaction I had with a you know Nike vendor or Oakley or um, anyone like that, I was like, I just loved it because I've never had that before. You know, and I just all those little things, and I just my career could last a month. I want to make the most of this. You know, that's how I was. 2010 was completely opposite. You know, uh, on that in that regard for me, I was just I was just a I'd sit in my locker, I wouldn't talk to anyone. You know, um, it was just, yeah, it was, a, it was a bad spot for me. That's for sure. I have to ask you. So I think there's a lot about 2010 and just the overall negativity. And you can see if you look back at the franchise and just they were trying all these things to put a winning product on the field and it wasn't working. And um, I think that a lot of current Mariners fans have reservations about, you know, it'll happen. I tweet about like, something cool Jared Kelnick does or something cool Julio Rodriguez does and people are like, Jerry's just going to trade him. They're going to come to nothing. Remember Dustin Ackley? And it's like all oh, this negativity built up. Do you think that what they have built, what they have in place, can they escape those ghosts of the past, of this legacy of failure, of people trying to save their jobs? Because Yeah, it's it, yeah, and we'll see. You know what I mean? Like with Jerry DePoto... Um you know with with him i'll start with him yeah sometimes i mean for, first of all he, he's he's amazing um talker and pr person like he, he's very good at that um but i think with him it's gotten to the point where you know whoever came up with the idea for them to 
completely strip it down. I don't know if it was the ownership saying, "All right, let's just go the new, you know, the new school way of, um, you know, doing this three to five year plan. Let's do it." Um, and, and if it was, whereas in the past it was the ownership group that said, "No, we have to win right now, right now, or whatever it may be, or we have to make money, or we have to get a, you know, a Japanese player so we can get the TV rights to be in Japan, or, or whatever it may be." Right. So I think, you know, with that, I think that if if the ownership with and the people above and the baseball ops above Jerry Depoto are willing to say, all right, let's take this slow. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. If we try and get ahead of ourselves right now, and, and this is why this COVID-19 season is going to kind of, you know, rush you a little bit. If we can take this slow and make sure these guys are ready to roll, um, I think they'll be okay. The other side of that is too, is what happens in that play development side of things. And, Again, I go back to this all the time. I've been with different organizations. I left the Mariners. I went to the Astros. Um, I went to the Astros, the Cubs, the Red Sox, and then I went to the D-backs, and then I went to the Cincinnati Reds and the Blue Jays. All right, so I went Ooh, to- I did not realize you'd been so many places. Yeah, I went to all these different places in, in, in amongst it. The Red Sox had it down to a T when it came to player development. I've never seen anything like it. It was amazing. Um, and I, I went down to minor league camp and- I talk about you talk about everyone being on the same page, the Red Sox mm. way of doing things. Man, it was that's how it was. And the other part of it too, the way they the, the the system they had in place for player development and just the attention they gave and the transparency they had with every player. I think the Mariners have that. They're very honest with players. Mm-hmm. Um I that was I've never seen anything like it. I'm like, no wonder these guys just keep pumping out these guys who just keep coming up and go, Oh man, this guy's a stud, this guy's a stud. Same as the Yankees too. I've heard that about the Yankees as well. Uh, and I hate to use big market teams, but man, their player development is absolutely on point. Yeah, but they're big market. They can buy the best and they do. But, right. You know? But, but you, I'm talking about the kids in the minor leagues. You know no, but I mean the guys who are setting that culture, you know. Right. They're... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that's a great point. And so with, with Andy McKay, um, he's very uh, honest. Uh, I've talked to players and, and he, they just said, this is the way it goes. I'm very honest. And he's very progressive. He's trying different things. As long as the players respect what they're trying to do and, and when they guide them, they listen and it's the right things. I think, and again, all these things happen um, and they're patient. You've got to be patient with these guys. I, I cannot say that enough. Um, and then you just hope these drafts, like the last two years, hopefully these drafts just, they're rock solid. You know, you, you get these arms and, and, and instead of one of five ending up being okay, three or five end up making an impact. That's the difference. You know what I mean? Did you have someone when you made it to the big league club who did help you and take you under their wing and show you how to be a Mariner, whatever that means, like sort of an anti Figgins and Kochman, the guys who were welcoming to you and helped you along the way rather than distancing themselves? Yeah, 2007, um, definitely. So 2007, we had um, we had like a couple of my buddies, Eric O'Flaherty, Sean Green, Brandon Morrow, young guys, um, um, but then you also had, I've got to give it to him. And I had a bit of a love hate relationship with JJ Putts, but JJ, <laughs> you know, interesting. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting, man. And, and it's, it's funny. He, he so did went, Mariners fans funnily. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but 2007, he was really good to me. He really was. And, um, he just kind of, he just instilled this confidence in me about how we do things here. And, and when we go out to pitch, this is how we do it, you know? 
uh, or hands are in the air. No, sorry, I'm not going to start singing that. But um, that's an old song. You guys probably aren't old enough. Um, I think it's Montel Jordan. Anyway, no, but but um, but JJ was was he was basically establishing himself as being rock solid, you know, and um, he was awesome. He he was he was so good to me. And if I had something I needed addressed or or I had to figure something out like on a real level, I'd go to JJ and he would help me out. And two thousand eight rolled around, he was not happy with everything his arm was hurting him he was pitching every day um and he just changed he just wasn't the same dude that's for sure um he just wasn't happy and then yeah it's funny i 2010 i had a start in, in chicago where i just gave up the house man i went five and he just gave up a boatload and and i get a text i go in i'm just shattered i can't even look at people in the eye um i mean shannon dre gave me a hug Oh. You know what I'm saying? It was bad because she's like, "Thank you for addressing the media." I know that was hard. I couldn't even look at anyone in the eye. It was oh, brutal. Man. It was such a just a shitty time. Sorry about. I don't know if I, but but the first person who texted me was JJ. He said, "Hey man, um, I'm here to talk," and he met me at at the outside the clubhouse and we just talked. And I was like, "Oh, that's awesome." Oh. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and then I played with him in 2014, and and you know, um, yeah, he's a good dude. But he, he he took me under his wing. That's for sure. And then. As I became a starting pitcher in 2008, um, you know, you had uh, Felix started to open up to me a lot more. Uh, we started to get wow. along a lot more. And then, um, and Jared Washburn on the field, basically, I wasn't, ha- not off the field. I mean, I, I like to, I like to have that relationship with people off the field as well. But, um, but Jared Washburn, he, he, he helped me out a lot just with, just with mentality and stuff as a starting pitcher. And then, 2010 they just pushed they're like oh go sit next to cliff lee go sit next to we're the completely different personalities i'm like guys i'm mm. never going to be like cliff lee right like the way we think and everything uh and they kept trying to yeah you know, go, go talk to cliff you go, you go i'm like oh my god like it's just you know we're friends but man he just thinks differently to me that's just the way it is you know he's a good dude but man we're just different you know so there's a fine line between setting culture and getting guys to listen to other guys and like letting guys kind of be themselves and finding their own mentors within the Yeah, and, and I always fish around with other teams and you know, Grant Balfour who he, he we're we're really close and he talked about that with um with Madden, you know, Joe Madden. He just said, Man, he just like he just allows everyone to be themselves and that's okay. You know, like and, and mind you, this mm-hmm. is two thousand eight. It's probably it's probably like that now in a clubhouse and, and you probably have to yeah, you know, pull pull the reins back a little bit, maybe. Um, now it was different back then. When you were a rookie back then, man, you, you didn't even sit on the couch. You didn't even touch that remote control in the clubhouse. You waited for the the you know the, the big boys to get to get <laughs> done with their food before you eat. You know what I mean? Things like that. Right. It's different now, though. Yeah, for sure. So Ryan, you've mentioned Grant Balfour a couple of times. Obviously, yep. he's one of the other uh, Australian dudes who's made the big leagues in recent years, had a lot of success. Um, but I think, you know, it's not like the the Dominican, obviously, or other Latin American countries where we know even the prospects who are out there. Australia is a mystery for all of us mm-hmm. American baseball fans. And uh, the Mariners have had some connections. You know, there was Blake Townsend, um, yep. Jordan Cowan played for the Bite. Uh, there's a super passionate fan base, obviously. But what is the state of the game like in Australia right now. And then we know you also have your next-gen baseball yeah. and the role that that's playing. But who will be the next Grant Balfour, Ryan Roland-Smith, Liam Hendricks? Who are the kids coming up in Australia we should know about? Yeah, yeah and who are you developing specifically through next-gen baseball? Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to talk about that because I spend – I'm up till 2 o'clock in the morning most nights doing stuff for, the, for next-gen baseball. I'm very passionate about uh, what I do with them. So I'll, I'll get into that for a second. But first of all, baseball in Australia – 
Um, obviously, the last three to five years, I've gotten a lot more involved um, with the, the development side of things. Um, and unfortunately, you know, for us, for, for our business, me and Trent Olchin, um, now the, you know, like I, I mentioned him before, play with the Dodgers and the D-backs. Uh, him and I, we grew up together. He, he, we were both 12 years old when we played against each other. And we, we you know, we, we're very passionate about it. I think the they're still light years behind the way they develop players. Um, it's hard because of resources and, and facilities and money. And, and uh, you have to, if you want to be seen in front of people, you have to travel to the States. Real, like if you really want to, you know. What is the big sport in Australia? What do most Australians cricket? Playing? Yeah, cricket, cricket, Aussie rules football, rugby. Okay. Yeah, if you went to my school and you played rugby, you, I mean, yeah, yeah, you, you, or you surfed, <laughs> boom. You know, and I surfed, You were the but, equivalent of like the starting quarterback, the oh yeah, quarterback. Ex- right, nailed it. Sense. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's kind of like these guys go, oh yeah, I played rugby growing up in the states, and I'm like, oh, I feel bad for you. That was me playing baseball in Australia. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Yeah, you're, um, but um, yeah, it, and the, you know they have the Australian Baseball League, which just keeps getting whittled down to smaller and smaller, and oh, there's no money and blah blah blah. It's tough, man. It's really tough. There's a lot of competition for that le- that you know grade of sport on on a you know on, on a national level. You know what I mean? It's really tough, and for these kids, um, they have to pay a lot of money to get to the states. They really do. They have to pay a lot of money to, to get over to these showcases and everything else. Um, but what we're trying to do with, at Next Gen Baseball, so we've had 26 kids um, go to from everywhere from D1 down to, to JUCOs in the last two and a half years. What my biggest, our biggest mission is, is go play college baseball. Don't sign out of high school. You've got these Australian kids who are really good and they sign for $100,000. Now, again, when you're 17 years old, $100,000 seems like a lot of money. I get that. But in the grand scheme of things, first of all, it's not life-changing money. You take the taxes out of that. It's a great head start, but you sacrifice an education. Um, you sacrifice a lot. You turn into an adult really quickly. Um, and for these Australian kids, they're not like Dominican re- kids from the Dominican Republic who you know throw really hard and just raw talent. Yeah, that, yeah it's just different. Even I mean, I keep thinking of Blake Townsend the whole time. Do you know who Blake... Blake, he was a next gen kid. Yeah, he's one of our, he's one oh, of he's ours. Oh, he's a next gen kid. Oh my god, Blake! Yeah, I talked to Blake. I spoke to Blake a week ago. So, so Blake, yeah, he it, the, that whole negotiation was going through me and Ted Hyde and Tim Kistner. Oh. I mean, that was I was a big part of that. And one of the things I not I don't not that I regret. I mean, I ho- hope Blake, you know, hope it all pans out. But he was a kid. I'll tell you a story about Blake. So he came over with us in October to Arizona. Every year in October, we bring over about forty kids. He was one of them. It's around about 82, 83 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. And these big schools, like, oh, he's a he's, you know, big program, big kid, just doesn't throw hard enough. And he was he was pissed because, you know, the beginning of the trip, they were like, oh, I love him. And they came to every game. And he's like, oh, something's going to happen, you know? And the next thing you know, uh, at the end of it, they a couple of these schools end up committing some of our other kids, not him. <clears throat> so him and his mom, I remember sitting there at the end, I'm like, hey, man, like, just this is what we need to do. You need to, th- you need to get that velo up. Mm-hmm. So I, ga- I gave him a program and... It within and he's he's a hard worker he works his he works his butt off right and so i said go buy a pocket radar i said i want you to check in with me i'm going to give you um i gave him my weighted ball set i, I wrote him on, on a spreadsheet i said you're going to follow this <laughs> and um he went home and his dad kept showing me these little clips with the little pocket radar <clears throat> and it was just boom 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 and then tim kistner who was an international skater goes hey i'm making a trip to australia i don't usually do that I'm heading down. Who should I watch? I gave him three names, and Blake was one of the names. 
And he got back to me. And I, at this point, I didn't know where Blake was as far as development because this was like, you know, uh, eight months after. And um, Tim's like, man, you ain't kidding about Blake Towns. And I'm like, oh, really? I wasn't <laughs> going to be like, oh, he only throws 83. What are you talking about? He only throws 86. <clears throat> I said, he goes, yeah, man. He goes, he's hitting up a 80s. He's blah, blah, blah. We want to sign him. I'm like, no, no way. So I'm looking at this thinking <clears throat> with Blake, I think he's a perfect candidate. This goes back to my point. I'm going to go play D1 baseball, develop. You get grow into that body a little bit. You know what I mean? Right. Um, but he was so still angry about the fact that these schools were kind of knocking him back to his face. You know, we had mm -hmm. Donegal Fergus, who's now, he's now with the, I think he's with the Angels, but he was a UW, one of the UW coaches. Um, flat out just had his face because, yeah, man, you got to throw hard enough. All right, I'll see you, Ryan. I'll see you later on. You know, it was just, it was just bad. You know, it was bad the way it went down. So, um, he was still, he goes, oh, well, none of these schools want me anyway. I said, Blake, just take this slow, man. you got time. Take it slow. Um, and then Ted Hyde contacts me and says, hey, like, you know, what would it take to sign him? And they made him an offer. He ended up signing for like, I, I think, I want to say he signed for like $150,000, right? But they started, it started like $80,000 or whatever it was. And um, I just said to Ted, I was like, oh, I just want to be patient with Blake. He's a good kid. I think he needs to mature, blah, blah, blah. But Blake was just so like you know, pro ball, man, this team really loves me. These pe other people don't love me. I'm going to go here. And so he signed with the Mariners. Um, okay. Even though I sort of said, hey, go play college baseball. But um, but just with that, so we've got another kid, Josh Gessner, he signed with the Phillies, signed for $850,000. Now he was getting offers um, for, you know, $80,000 to $150,000. Well, we said, we know how the system works. He, he's a smart kid. Um, and I don't want to, you know, keep boring you with this stuff, but um, but Josh, he came over with us. He's academic. He got all these big offers, and he's a star. He works hard too. He got these offers from these big schools, and we use that. No, we didn't use as leverage, but it's leverage against these pro teams. They have to start throwing some money at you, right? Right, and that's what happened. And um, so, you know, Josh, all of a sudden, said, "That's what we're trying to do." And again, I'm nothing against these teams. I don't want Tim Kissinger or Ted Hyde to get mad. Well, Blake at me. has just. An incredible, I mean, like you've said, work ethic, but he seems to like just genuinely love baseball. And yeah, oh yeah, yeah. He's he's a good kid. You know, he he's just he's so young. Like you forget how young he is. You know, you have a conversation with him, and then yeah, what is, is he like? Seven, seventeen, eighteen? Yeah, seventeen, like eighteen. Yeah, and then you know you have a conversation with him, and then you know, you're diving into something. He goes, oh hey, by the way, these other guys have agents, and they get free shoes. I'm like, oh that's right, yeah, you're right. I keep forgetting you're eighteen years old. Whoops, you know, like, you know, <laughs> like I just yeah, you know, that's just that's just Blake. But um, yeah, so basically we you know we do everything from camps, but the the light at the end of the tunnel for us is to get these kids these college opportunities they just never would have gotten. We got one kid, right. Jimmy Nadai going to Stanford, another kid going to Oregon State. Um, oh, who's, you know, who's the kid going to Oregon State? His name's Travis Bazana. Wait till you see this kid. Travis stud. He's a shortstop. Bazana, yeah. B-A-Z-Z-A-N-A, -A -A, Trav. Yeah, he's, um, man, he's, I love this kid. He's perfect for college baseball. And he's just a stud, you know? So I'm ex I can't wait to, to get down and watch him. He'll be, he'll be there soon, uh, I think in a year or so. I think he committed as a junior. But, uh, yeah. But that, that's what we're doing, man. We're, we're, we're killing it. I mean, we get a bit of resistance because, you know, we're taking players out of that cycle of signing for $100,000, which get we get some resistance on that front from the international scouting. Yeah, you know, no, that's definitely something. The international scouts put all their money. I mean, teams have generally put all their money into the Dominican Republic. You have, like, a race to sign the highest rated guys off that island. And then it's like, 
pennies for the Brazilian. I mean, maybe the Venezuelans get some, but pennies for like Brazil and right. uh, Taiwan and Australia and all these other places that do have a baseball culture. They they show up at the WBSE. They show up at the World Cup and right. all these different things. I mean, there are talented players out there, but so much of the attention is focused. You know, and, and the Dominican Republic, I mean, that there is no country that per square inch loves baseball more. So no. it, it does make sense. But No, and I, I totally get it. Like, that's why if a scout says, look, we just don't have the budget, they're not lying. Because Australian, it's like, okay, Dominican, Venezuela, Japan, or whatever, if you're trying to go after some, or Korea, trying to go after some of these young guys. Uh, and then the rest, you know, if you've got, got 100 grand left over, go over to Australia and see what you got. You know, that's just the way it goes. Right. So, but funneling to them, them to college is such a great... Approach oh my god! To that. Yeah, and because the, 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 they develop like American kids, you right. know, they're, and they're, you know, they they've they've got reps, that, but physically they they need time to, you know, throw ninety seven miles an hour. Mm-hmm. They need time. You know, kid, kids coming out of the Dominican. I played rookie ball, and they throw gas, and they throw slight. They, they might throw it to the backstop, but you know what? They yeah. they, they can coach that in rookie ball. In, in Australia, they can throw strikes, and they they want to know how to pitch and. And not walk anyone, but they're throwing. Yeah, they're a little more collegiate. Yeah, exactly. Hundred percent. Ready. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Hundred percent. All right, yeah. Ryan. We're getting close to the end here, but I wanted to get into a little more of your career stuff uh, while while we've got you. Um, you mentioned the Jack Sorensic thing. We will get to that, but I want to ask you specifically about your first game with the Mariners, which I'm sure you know all about and you remember it. But I want to paint a picture for the listeners here. Uh, the Cincinnati Reds are in town. This is 2007. It's a Friday night at Safeco Field, almost 13 years to the day we're recording this, actually. Wow. And uh, it's not going well for the old Mariners. Brandon Phillips hits a home run <laughs> for Cincinnati, and that puts them ahead 16-1. to 1. <laughs> And at this point, at this point, Skip says, all right, go get the Aussie. Time for his debut in a game we're already losing at home by 15. Welcome! So then, <laughs> so then Ryan, who steps to the plate for the first at-bat of your MLB career? Well, I just want to give some just want to give some context to this day for sure. me. I actually got called up before this, so I got called up and never pitched. I got called up probably three or four weeks before this. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah, and and this was trust me, this was a scary moment in my career. Well, be, this in my life because what happened was, I get called up. Hey, you going to the big leagues? Oh my god, I'm a major leaguer. This is crazy. Call the family. Oh, should I fly over? Oh. And you know, blah blah blah. It's amazing. You know, we're in Round Rock, Texas. And not many people know this story because they, they asked me about the Griffey story. Um, but I get called up and we're playing the Yankees. Now, I'm, I'm, a, I'm 24 years on from Australia. I'm like, oh, I don't want to pitch against the Yankees. The place is going to be packed. There's Jeter in the lineup. No way. I'm scared. So it's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday series and Monday's an off day. Um, and at this point, I'm like, I'm getting called up because I'm good. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't know like that so-and-so went on the deal. They just want an extra lefty in the bullpen at that point, right? So... I, I come up and uh, Friday, um, it's a tight game and I'm just scared. I'm in the bullpen. I'm like, I, I just don't want to pitch. I'm hiding in the corner. Every time the phone rang, I'm like just shivering. And seriously, and that's how it was on Saturday. I'm like, oh, I don't want to pitch Saturday. Maybe Sunday because it's a day game. It doesn't feel right, so right. crazy that, yeah. Sunday rolls around. I don't pitch. I'm like, man, I haven't pitched yet. Three days. I just want to, I couldn't sleep. I'm like, man, I just want to, I need to pitch, right? Like I need to get mm-hmm. this out of my system. Monday rolls around off day. They sent me back to AAA. So I'm on the plane. I swear to God, I'm, I'm on the plane back to wherever I was going. And um, and I remember thinking to myself, oh, man, 
this is going to be my this is going to be my life story. I'm going to tell kids, hey kids, I got caught up to the big leagues, and they're like, ah, oh, you're full of it because there's no stat shit on you. I thought <laughs> that I was going to get called up, sit in a bullpen for three days, go back down, and some oh tragic, yeah, some tragic thing was going to happen. I was never going to get a crack. <laughs> So I'm freaking out. I swear to God, the next couple of weeks, I'm like, please just call me up. My God, I'm freaking out, right? I'm, I'm not joking. And so I'm kind of surprised I get called up and I'm looking on my phone. I'm, I'm on Google and I'm like, okay, who are we playing? I'm like, oh, the Reds. And then you start seeing things on Google about Ken Griffey Jim. You're like, you've got to be kidding, man. Like, can't we play the Tampa Bay Rays on a Tuesday? That's, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I, I just wanted to pitch against 12,000 people against someone, you know, some other dude making their debut. <laughs> and I think Griffey had, like, this ceremony or they handed him something before the game. place was packed, right? It was nuts. And I go out, and I'm still already self-conscious about wearing glasses even. So I'm sitting in the bullpen thinking, everyone's looking at me like, who is this scrub? That's what it felt like, right? In that bar with, you know, all everyone in that bar next to the bullpen. That's how it felt like. So I'm sitting there, and the game's just getting blown out. And I'm, like, thinking to myself, I'm pitching 100% I'm pitching today because it was just bad. <laughs> Ryan Firaben started that game and it was just bad, right? To the point where Griffey was up to hit, the whole place is on their feet and Firaben kept picking over the first and we're even in the bullpen like, dude, just pitch to him because everyone's booing, right? Everyone's like, pitch to Griffey, I want to yep. see him hit. Yeah. The guys have been back here since whenever, right? <laughs> Remember that. <laughs> oh my God, it's like, dude, just pitch, man. Let the guy swing the bat. Like, my goodness. <laughs> so, sure enough, I'm think thinking to myself, this crowd, man, they want to see their dude. So, and then yourself, I'm going to pitch tonight for sure. And I'm like, as long as it's not against him, I'm okay, you know. So they, so the phone rings. Yeah, um, Smith, Roland, whatever, get loose. That's how it was. Um, so I, I pick up a ball. I walk down. I'm like, man, I didn't feel. It felt like I hadn't thrown a ball in like a month. I'm like, what am I doing? This is brutal. And then Jim Slate was the the bullpen coach. He walks up. He goes, oh, you're going to have one of these lefties coming up. And in the in the lineup, you had Josh Hamilton, all star. You had Adam Dunn, uh, all star. Right, and he's massive. And then you had Griffey. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't care. I don't, I know these other dudes are big names. I don't care. I want to face them. Not not Griffey. No freaking right. way. Right? No, not here. And so I'm warming up. Not even watching the game. I'm too scared. And then up. Um, oh, yep, you're in like this. And the place is starting to get loud. Not because I'm coming into the game. Because I'm like, oh, who's uh, who's hitting? Uh, yeah, it's Junior. I'm like, oh, my heart sank. I'm like, no way. This is brutal. I'm like, and I'm just, I'm swear to God, I'm running him going, just don't walk him. If I walk him, this place is going to absolutely charge the field. <laughs> because, you know, this is like the, his last at bat of the night or whatever. I'm like, oh my right. God, you know? And so I run in and, and, um, at that point, you realize that there's a story being written, and even though it's your debut and even though it should be your story, the story is not about you, right? Oh, 100%. That's yeah, I mean, it's hard. Yeah, I know. That and and you know, it it was it, it was it was surreal. I got to say because remember, growing up in Australia, people know who Griffey is because he was on the Simpsons. So there's there's a baseball <laughs> episode. Right so I could I was stoked. I was I was kind of stoked because I was driving home that night and I'll get back to the story in a second, but I was driving home and going, "Oh, I can actually tell people in Australia and they know who it is." Yeah, you know, if I say like <laughs> David Ortiz, they're like, "Oh, yeah," even though he's a superstar. But yeah. I'm like, oh, Griffey, oh, the dude off The Simpsons. Oh, man, you faced him. That's, you know, I yeah. So I come into pitch, and I'm like, bang, I, I threw a strike, and, you know, umpire calls a strike. I'm like, oh, here we go. I feel pretty good. You know, I'm, I'm feeling, you know, and, um, and he fouls a pitch off, and I'm like, man, I got two strikes in him here. Huh? Joe, Joe puts down the old number two. I'm like, I'm just going to snap this curveball. I'll get everything I got. I don't care if it's a back backstop. I don't care. I'm just going to spike the crap out of this thing. 
throw a curveball and he swings right over. I'm like, I just struck out this dude. Are you kidding? <laughs> I couldn't believe it. And I'm like, I'm sort of sticking my chest out. It was the third out of the inning. <laughs> and and the whole place kind of just groaned like, like uh, boring. Yeah. Who's this guy you know think he is? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, bummer, man. Like, you know, I was supposed to serve it up for him. But I was like, oh, I just can't believe I did that. It was, it was nuts, right? And uh, it, it was a, it was surreal. It, it was a great moment. Matter of fact, it's the intro to my podcast. Is the audio of me punching out Ken Griffey Jr. And you know, it's funny As too. It should I, be. <laughs> oh yeah, it's. And years later, I played with him in you know 2009. I finally said, "Hey, by the way, do you realize you were the first ever guy ever hit her I faced?" And and for that split second, I'm hoping I'm sitting there hoping that he's like, "Yeah, I remember that." Yeah, but he didn't. Trust me, he didn't. He did not remember that at all. <laughs> He goes, oh yeah, what'd I do? You know what I mean? And I'm thinking to myself, why would he remember that? Everything this right. dude's done, right? And um, he goes, yeah, what'd I do? I said, oh, I struck you out like this, you know? And he's like, oh, you can tell you, you, you got a story for your grandkids. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> that's how it was. You know? But you do. I do. Yeah, there you go. So and yeah. it's funny. Don't mention that you were losing 16 to 1. That yeah, part's no, not important. No, yeah. no we're, lo- we're losing 2 to 1. We came back and won, by the way. That's yeah. how it was. Clutch strikeout. <laughs> so anytime I drive past that statue out the front, and my daughter's old enough now where she's, you know, She's like, oh, dad, do we have to talk about baseball? But we drive past, my, like, hey, see that dude, Kennedy? See that dude? <laughs> She's like, dad, I don't care. It's not, yeah. But no, that, that was, trust me, I've had friends who, you know, get a September call up and pitch in the blowout and give up six runs, and that's their debut against whoever. I got a pretty special debut. So it was a good memory for me, that's for sure. That yeah. is much better than Bucky Jacobson's. Our last guest who played for the Mariners was Bucky Jacobson, who had an equally rough game but a way worse way worse story what, what happened in his debut he actually he played all right he had a hit in his debut but it was the same thing the mariners were losing by like 12 or 13 <laughs> to cleveland nice. and he told a yeah. story about how brett boone already didn't like him because bucky gets out there and grabs a patch of grass and eats it because he said he wanted to take something with him and brett boone thought that was weird so bucky's like all right i'm already off to a bad start with boone <laughs> bucky didn't care he didn't care. He was like, yeah, whatever, Boone. But uh, he just thought it was kind of a weird situation to start off with. And then, of course, the team gets destroyed in its first game. <laughs> yeah, nice. Uh, that's awesome. Nice one. So we also, we asked Bucky, because he, you know, you had a longer career than him. He only had the part of one season. So mm-hmm. he has a little more of, I think, a clear memory. But we asked him to name every pitcher he homered off. And he did it. So wow. now our question to you is, do you I mean, know who you struck out help. the most? He did it with some help. We had to, like, he did. We did help him. him a little bit. Yeah, names, that's true. But... And we can help you here, Ryan. We were just wondering if you know who you struck <laughs> out the most. There's um, five guys that you struck out at least four times in your career. Hmm. Um, One of them you mentioned earlier, actually. Oh, oh, I can't remember. I think you'll like it when you hear the answer. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think. Uh, Jack Cust, maybe? I felt like I was yeah. facing him. Oh, really? There we go. Very Cust good. is number one. Yeah, you got him five times. <laughs> I remember I remember facing him every other at bat. Um, he did hit a grand slam off me, though. I remember. Yeah, that's not important. Yeah, anyway. Um, oh, man. I, I, I got no idea. No idea. Really? Yeah, no. Honestly, I just, yeah. It, you know, kids ask me all the time, oh, have you faced so-and-so? I'm like, I'm, I can't remember if I faced him or not. Um, Interesting. Yeah, who, who, who else you got? So there's Figgins on there. You got Figgins oh, four yeah. times. Oh, did I? Wow, look at that. Nice. Yeah. Well, I, I uh, thought we were going like, to try to get him to, to guess that. Well, I wanted to give him Figgins to hear the satisfaction, but I'm going to help him with, with one of them. Because <laughs> there's one guy on here who you absolutely dominated, actually. He was 0 for 11 off of you. Played for Kansas City. Um, was it David DeJesus? 
It was not to Jesus. Uh, I think he was lefty, though. Let me Google him to make sure I have his information. Oh, Mark Tian. Mark Tian. (laughs) There it is. I know that because I saw him at the winter meetings. He's like, oh, man, like, you know, you absolutely. I was like, really? Did I? And I remember, and someone who I was standing next to, some like, not big wig, but someone who like a. just went quickly on their phone and said, oh, yeah, that, this he went 0 for 11 off you. That's right. Mark yeah. Tan, yeah. He's a great dude, by the way. Awesome dude. I, I know who owns me. People always ask me, oh, who was the toughest dad? Yeah, that like, was my next question. Let's hear who you got. Right, Wait, don't, got the you, wanna hear, don't you want to hear the other ones? Who oh, you, yeah, yeah. Who, who, who are the you, other ones? Yeah. Who you um, well, I'll let you guess. There's two Carloses are the last two. Do you know the, who I'm talking about? Um, one of them's on TV now, and oh. one of them was in spring training with the Mariners. Um, <laughs> yeah, um... Oh my god, what's his name? Um, yeah, he's on MLB Network. Um, oh, what's his? Um, oh, I'm drawing a blank here. What's his Start name? Carlos. Oh my goodness. Carlos. <laughs> Just tell me what it is. Pena. Carlos Pena. <laughs> Pena. That's right. Yeah, Carlos Pena. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Oh, nice. You got him five times. Oh, there we go. I like it. And he was in another division too. How strange is that? Yeah. And the other Carlos, he was with the Mariners, who used to be good, but probably is not anymore. Not Carlos Gonzalez. Yeah. It is. Yeah. You got him four times. Dude, I thought he owned me. Oh wow, I didn't know that. No. He probably still owned me. Yeah. He might be on both lists. Yeah. 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 He probably. Yeah. He probably did. Wasn't hard to own me, but um, I, I Kurt Suzuki, I think just. Yep. Oh wow, yeah. you got him right off the bat. Oh yeah, I remember every time I come to a hit, I'm like, man, like I'll try the nastiest pitch, and he just like it's like he was laughing at me. I swear to God, like he'd give me a look like, really, you're in the big leagues? Like that's how it was. Um, and I always felt like yeah, he was with the A's as well. Even in AAA, I remember I was like, I cannot get this dude out to save my life. Um, who else was there? Um. Trying who else I did really well against. Um, oh, sorry, who 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 did really well against me? Um, yeah, so one guy's in the Hall of Fame now, so you can feel good about that yeah. one. Oh, Vlad- Vladimir Guerrero. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> yeah, he crushed me. Oh man, he well, he crushed he crushed everyone, especially that Tommy Tommy's career. Yeah, he smashed everyone. Um, yeah, definitely him. Anyone else that stands out while we doing a roast session? Uh, pretty pretty famous <laughs> Yankee. Oh, well, if you're talking about Derek Jeter. Mm-mm. Um, not a rod. No. But what's what do you remember about Jeter though? You sounded like you had a story oh, there. Infield hits galore, man. Like I went back. <laughs> oh no! Oh my god! It was just like these little infield hits where, like, you know, it wasn't like he was burning down the line, but like, you know, whoever was playing. I remember Adrian Beltre, the guy who I'm like, oh, anything that hit to the to the right of me, I was like, oh yeah, that's an out. And I remember he kind of came up and scuffled, and I'm like, they're scoring that a hit off Jeter. I was like, are you kidding me? Um, but yeah, he, he always just got these little cheapy hits, you know, Derek Jeter. So I feel like he was up there. Um, famous Yankee. He was that. He's a switch hitter. Uh, and he's also been pretty mouthy about, uh, baseball players needing to just take the oh, money. Oh, Mark Teixeira? That... <laughs> yeah. yeah Teixeira got six off you. I thought I did well against it. By the way, I have a bruise on my shin. Um, when he was with the Angels, I still, I, not a bruise, a lump on my shin when he hit a ball back to me. So there you go. <laughs> I still have a lump, swear to God. Uh, not not to gross you out. but I got The like Teixeira a, lump. Yeah. <laughs> the, ball, the ball kicked up and Beltre barehanded and, and threw over the first base for the out off my shin. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, yeah. brutal. What about that? Oh, well. Uh, there's one guy on the, the list of dudes who owned you that you also did well against, who we mentioned a second ago. Um... Oh god! Who had a stint with the Mariners as well? 
Carlos Gonzalez? No. 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 Well, he might have sorry, owned you too. I'm only to... looking at a couple of them. Yeah, I need to figure. I need to go look at some matchups. Um, <laughs> who was that? Who was that? Um, I had a stint with the Mariners. He was kind of a, a lefty. He was the first header. guy you named, actually, as somebody who yeah. you dominated. Yeah. Not not Jack Cuss, right? Alas. Yeah, he got you six times. <laughs> he has six hits off you. Yeah, right. Okay. Well, thanks, guys. Th- thanks for taking my glory and turn- spinning it somehow into just absolute. Yeah. Matthew uh, made the list. Don't blame me. <laughs> I didn't. Ryan made the list when he was pitching. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Yeah. Just couldn't wait to couldn't wait to drop that on me, but no, um, yeah, it's uh, it's funny. You look back, you're like, oh, I dominated that, did I? Yeah, this guy owned, and then you look back at, oh, did I? No, whoops, I, there's yeah. yeah, there's three doubles uh, in one year. It's like, <laughs> oh, wow, and they're in the East Division, yeah. So, anyway, that's funny, too funny. Yeah, there's one more. There's an A on here too, an Oakland A who was kind of a thorn in the Mariners' side for a while. I feel like he played for the A's for 15 years. He was an infielder who did pretty well against you. Infielder with the A's. Um, there was one guy I could never get out. I don't know if he's up there. Kevin Kuzminoff. I couldn't get him out to save my Oh, life. man, I forgot about him. That is a name, but he's not on this list. <laughs> yeah. At least not on the top five. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Um, well, there should be a top 20 of domination against me, so you can't really narrow it down to five. Um, a name. Um, no, he was on the A's. His name is Mark. Oh, Scudero. No, <laughs> no, but you sounded like he Marco Scudero. Marco Scudero. I'm struggling right now. Um, sorry, I've had about seven beers in this time we've been talking. <laughs> Mark um, Ellis. Mark yeah. Ellis. Oh, Mark Ellis. That's right. Marky Ellis. Yeah. Mark Ellis. Ellis. No, I'm joking. I've never been. Pesky. Uh, Pesky. He did well litter. against me. Come on. That's that's bad. That's bad form. I should have dominated. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Brutal. He's got as many hits off you as Vladimir Guerrero. <laughs> oh, geez. I mean, I feel like we've now, um, we've now insulted your legacy enough that we need to remind everyone that you are a very powerful and strong athlete right and so we need to talk about your american ninja warriors experience oh god yeah wow that by the way i loved it i shouldn't shouldn't talk bad about that that was a crazy time that was was may of last year yeah (laughs) but really that feels like 10 years ago i know it does doesn't it my god um yeah it was one one of those things man i'm I'm always going to put my hand up for any of that kind of stuff but um, at Root Sports, the guy, my boss at Root Sports, John Bradford, was texting me, and he's very—he writes one sentence every time. Like he says, "Hey, Tuesday, you good?" I'm like, "What does that mean?" Like that's kind of how he writes his text messages. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's not like a like, philosophical question. It's weird. Yeah, like hey, Tuesday, like hey, Tuesday, food here. I'm like, what does that mean? Like yeah, but that, but he writes to me. I swear to God, I should look and I should actually look up the the text messages. But he wrote. He seriously writes to me. He's like. Have you ever watched Ninja Warrior? And I write, yes, <laughs> I know what it is. And he said, um, he said, he he literally wrote, um, do you want to be a part of it? They're in Tacoma. And I'm thinking to myself, like, not do it. I'm thinking, oh yeah, maybe go down there and do yeah, like do some, some talking. Yeah, or just yeah. like you know, are we taking a camera down? I can make a fool of myself and jump up one of the things and mm-hmm, jump mm-hmm. in the water, take my daughter down. That's seriously. I was like, yeah, for sure. That sounds fun. Thank you. Like thinking I'm I'm like the lucky dude who gets to go down and like watch it, you know, 
or, or, or get tickets to it. I, I swear to God, I thought you meant like to, to get tickets to watch watch the. Dudes I will have to say, Tuesday, you good. You ever watched American Ninja War? Does not feel to me like the same as asking, "Hey, would right. you like to be on?" Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Sounds like you want to come over and drink some beer and watch yeah, Ninja exactly. Warrior with yeah. me. Yeah. And so then, that I'm definitely like, yeah. sounds like come to my house and let's watch American. Ninja. Yeah. And then he writes to me. He goes, he goes, contact JD. Here's his number. That was it, right? So then a week later, <laughs> I swear to God, a week later, I, I get in all caps, um, JD is waiting for your call. Hurry up and call him. And I'm wow. like, what's he doing? Like, That's so um, terrifying. Yeah, I'm like, what the hell? And then I, then literally like five minutes later, I get a call from JD Pruis, who's the, he's like the producer of the show, right? He calls me, he goes, hey, what's up, man? It's JD. And he's all like, you know, energy through the roof. Like, you know, I'm just picturing him with like a headset in, driving some sick car, like with the hair done, you know, like, <laughs> Just like, yeah, what's up, dude? I'm like, and I'm sitting in a coffee shop where it's quiet. You know, I'm, I'm sitting there on the computer doing, I don't know what I was doing. I was like, oh, hi, JD. How are you doing? Thinking, okay, I need to sound kind of, you know, enthusiastic. I'm sorry, is that your American accent? Yeah, kind of, yeah. What was that? But I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, I have to sound kind of enthusiastic because I'm getting a chance here to maybe, you know, go down and be a part of this Ninja Warrior, like, for fun. So I'm like, hey, man, what's going on? Yeah, like, um, you know, I'm stoked. I'll come down and, and see you guys. And he's like, oh, so you're competing. I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, you mean like competing? Like, is there like a bunch of like you know old athletes that you know got dominated in the big leagues and they're going to go up against each other on a modified course, you know? And uh, I'm like, what do you mean competing? Like, we'll have a go at the course. He's like, no, man, we want you to compete. We want ex-athletes and you know energy's through the roof, right? I'm like, oh my god. So I'm I'm sitting there thinking, um, let me call you back. And so I call my wife, Amanda, who's very, you know, upbeat. And I know I sound super positive and everything, but I can be negative Nancy like you wouldn't believe, man. I can be Debbie down in two seconds. So I call Amanda. I'm like, oh, you know, should I compete in this thing? He wants me to compete. And Amanda's like, absolutely, you have to do it, blah, 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 right? And so I call him back. He says, yeah, right, I'll do it. And then I go, and he goes, yeah, great, man. I'll send you the details. I'll hook you up with one of the ninjas so you can practice and train. I said, when is it? He goes, oh, it's in two weeks. I'm like, oh, my God. You know? What? And, you know, I'm kind of, um, um, you know, I'm heavy at that time. I'm like, I'm not in good shape. I haven't really worked out much. You know, I've done the, you know, I've done the, the lap around Green Lake or whatever. Like nothing, right? I'm not, in, I'm, not, I'm not confident with how I feel physically, right, at all. And so I'm like, straight away, I... I Again, I feel like this this needs a little asterisk because I've met you in person and you are ridiculous looking. Like, you are enormous, <laughs> just broad, like, you look like somebody who could potentially that's just very, do that's, this. That's very nice of you and, and, and I appreciate it. And But I, also, I've I seen the show and I know guys train for like a year before yeah. they show up and try to do it. So yeah, it feels a little like you're being set up to fail here. Yeah, big time. So so I, I Google and I'm like, oh, you know, like top rated show of the Tuesday night or whatever whatever the lineup is I don't, cool. I, i'm like oh my god i'm like who's watching this this is embarrassing and so straight away i get hooked up with liam right and liam his name's liam buell he went to vegas and this guy is just whole life is great guy his whole life is devoted to ni- being a ninja warrior right so <laughs> so we go to his backyard and it's funny i had john ryan on the podcast and i keep talking I'm not, I'm not trying to plug my podcast here but john yes, ryan plug your, po- plug your podcast Oh yeah, well anyway, it will anyway. So John was on the he was on Ninja Warrior. So someone said, Hey, reach out to John Ryan. He he's been on there. He was really helpful. By the way, he's the one out of anyone who gave me the best advice. I'll get to that in a second. But I so Liam's said, Come to my house. He goes, I've got the whole setup at my house. I'm like, What? So I go to this house, like a two bedroom house in Shoreline, right? 
with this giant backyard and like it's so funny it's like dude why don't you save some of your money for all this equipment out the backyard and renovate the kitchen or like at least like get some you know like fix the carpet or something like the place is just destroyed and god i hope he's not listening and i walk out the back and he's got like a warped wall and he's got all these like climbing apparatus. i'm like dude like what is this the whole the guy's whole life was devoted to ninja warrior so I get out there and it's embarrassing and I'm so happy that I'm in the backyard that only one other person can see me do this stuff and I'm like, this is not good. And straight away it came over me, just the complete fear of of whatever. And he's like, Oh, if you can do this group and blah blah blah, you'll be and you'll be able to be fine on the first obstacle. Whatever. I'm like, Oh my god, I couldn't and, and it was funny too, because I'm hanging off this grip and he's like, Let's check let's check your grip straight. I'm hanging off this grip and I'm going, and my feet are like two feet off the ground <laughs> it looked pathetic right and finally and then finally like in the last week i went down to summon ninja and and you know root sports sent down people there to like you know do a cool thing and it looked like a, it looked like i've been training for months but i was so i couldn't sleep the night before i've never been so intimidated nervous and scared i'm a nervous person i get nervous over anything i get nervous doing this podcast but getting up there standing up there and the man and the moose was whatever i was freaking out it was so nerve-wracking i just said get through that first obstacle don't slip get through the first one uh and off i go but on the flip side i met some amazing people it shot my confidence through the roof right after that the host of the show his name's akbar this um this big imposing figure Mm -hmm. Uh, him and i really like hit it off he's a great dude and he like you know he got me to call the boss at mlb network and and (laughs) um he goes, you call him right now. Yeah, pick up the phone. You, you need, you know what I mean? He, there was just like, it was like, a, I felt like I was at a Tony Robbins seminar when I was sitting with this dude. And I'm like, geez, all right. And so that got me, you know, in with like doing stuff, MLB Network, which I was supposed to do this year and which kind of got tanked. But um, but just little things like that. It was one of these things that once you get over that hump of the, the fear of the whole thing and you put yourself out there and, um, you know, like Kate, it's like one of these things that, you know, and, and you can talk for this, like going into the, the locker room to talk to, players for the first time i find that like you know if you do get a credential to go down and i find this with like younger especially females they walk in they're very intimidated about going into a locker room to talk to players you know what i'm saying I don't oh know yeah if, it's it's nerve-wracking intimidating it. yeah so there i am trying to give my my motivational speech saying get in there talk to them blah 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 <laughs> like say this be confident with the questions you're gonna ask and the whole thing um so like you know, um, or it got guys, girls, we have any interns at Root Sports and they're like, oh, I don't want to go in the clubhouse. I'm like, get in there. You know I mean? <laughs> um, because it's the same feeling of like, you know, just get over that hump. Absolutely. So, yeah. So that was important. You know That's what I'm a saying? great so, lesson to take from that. Yeah. So I it, have it to ask a, if there's any current Mariner. So if one Mariner had to be sent to the American Ninja Warrior, who do you think would do the best? Great question. Yeah, that's a really good question. Who's I'm not going to say the guy's in the best shape. Who's the smallest dude? I would say, I would say like D Gordon. Would, oh, would be, that's what I was thinking. He's super athletic. He's small. He's lighter. You got to be small. You really do. It's all body weight. You know, like hold yeah, your body yeah. weight. Um, I th- I think I'd have to say because D Gordon is so athletic. I think he would be, you know, and and he can he can turn on a dime. You know what I mean? Like he's mm. got that response. I think definitely D Gordon. I'd have to say him off the top of my head. I'm gonna go Tom Murphy because it's I think he big. might actually have that American Ninja Warrior set up in his backyard already. Yeah, but he's too he's too big. They're, he uh, is big. Yeah. He's a big dude. I, I remember I went to Spring Trans. Like, oh man, you're kind of you're kind of big. I, I think he'd have to drop drop some weight. You know what I mean? Mm. You know, yeah. He, yeah. He, Getting up that warped wall is it's a it's a smaller man's game. 
Yeah, you know what's funny about that? I was like working so hard on that warp wall, and I'm sitting there thinking, I've got like five other obstacles that I'm probably not going <laughs> yeah. to get through. What am I wasting my time on this for? You know what I mean? It was funny. Anyway, it was a good time. All right, man. Well, we've kept you here for a long time, and we're grateful for it, but we do need to circle back to that Jack Sorensic yeah. oh, story that you promised we'll us from 2009, right. and we'll let you go after that. That's right. Okay, so this was this was a big turning point in my career, actually. So, you know, kind of in a sense, thank you, Jack, and your, your, your crew for sort of fueling this fire. So, Thank the, you, Jack. <laughs> yeah. So I start the year off 2009. First of all, it's a WBC year, and I really want to go play for Australia. But I walked in day one of spring training, and they called me in the office and said, um, you're not going to go down there. I, I know it's your decision, but you have to stay here. We're going to see what you're all about. You know, so there's always that thing where I felt like I had to prove myself because they're like, we have to see you through a full spring training to see if you're good. Because I went into spring training thinking 2008, man, I had a really good year as a starting pitcher. I'm, I'm, I'm gold here. You know what I mean? So I go in, I'm like, okay, guys, all right, I'll, I'll prove to you. Um, I go in, I make the rotation, and I'm good to go. I have one start and um, throw like five innings or something in Oakland. The next, very next day, Rick Adair, who loves to tinker, he loves to try and make adjustments mechanically, drives me nuts. He's like, hey, I want you to try and do this, do that. It's the day after I pitched, right? So anyway, I'm just frustrated. I'm like, dude, my arm's crushed right now. So there I am, I threw like 50 pitches in the bullpen. Well, sure enough, my elbow just blows up, right? So I go on the DL, IL, whatever, IL, DL, DL, IL, whatever you want to call it. We, we can be historically accurate yeah. and call it the DL. Yeah, exactly. All right, there you go. So I go, I go on the DL, and, um, and I'm just frustrated because I'm like, man, I wanted to have a big year this year. I'm really frustrated. And I'm like, why did I throw a bullpen? Why do you make me sit there and throw 50 pitches to do some dumb thing with my hands? That's set. Yeah, it's <laughs> in the stretch position. It's so stupid. Anyway, it's like about creating more rhythm or something. I've got no idea. So there I am. I'm in um, – and this is taking way too long. I, I asked, can I get my elbow drained? The, the doctor said, hey, if you drain this fluid out, it'll recover quicker. They wouldn't drain my elbow. Drive me nuts. All right, sorry, I'm getting to the point here. So, so um, anyway, I'm sitting there on the deal. I'm watching you know, guys like Jason um, uh, Vargas and... Uh, did I say that right? Yeah, yeah Jason Vargas, yeah. Um, yes, yes, Mariner's Luminary, Jason Vargas. Yeah, Jason Vargas, <laughs> Doug Fister, and, and all these other guys yep. doing really well. So I'm coming back. I'm, I'm like, can I rehab now? And they finally drain my elbow weeks later. And I'm like, I've just wasted three weeks. I'm just itching <coughs> to get back to pitch. <sighs> so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to come back. I'm like, oh, we're going to start you off slow, blah, blah, blah. We're going to get two innings down at AAA, then three, then four, then five. You know, the typical rehab assignment type deal. And um, so there I am. I go and I'm looking at the rotation. Everyone's doing really well, right? So I'm like, where do I fit in here? You know what I mean? They're really happy with what they got. So... And even I think like Chris Jackabaskus was doing well at some point or something like that. Even, you know. Oh, wow. That's a name. There you go. There you go. So I'm frustrated, like really frustrated, right? So I go go to AAA and and I'm slowly starting to get back. Well, what happens is they kept pushing me back. Oh, I was supposed to pitch in Baltimore. I never forget. They said, are you going to start this game? They showed me a calendar. Oh, we're going to push you back one start. They didn't have a spot for me in the rotation straight up. But they wouldn't tell me that. It was driving me nuts. So I go down to pitch in AAA, and um, I'm pitching. Velo's up. Arm feels amazing. Curveball's tight. The whole thing. And they're like, "Oh, you're gonna throw a hundred pitches." Usually, your last rehab game's like eighty, right? You're gonna throw. You're gonna throw hundred and ten pitches. It's just like ridiculous, oh right? So, so there I am, and I'm pitching. It's the fourth inning, and I never forget it. Two out, runners on base. And I was pretty fiery when I pitched, right? So come up. I come up. 
in the stretch position, fastball in, right? The umpire calls time, time, time as I'm going through my delivery. So I'm like, what the, you know, I'm dropping, what the, like to the umpire, not the hitter. I'm like, well, how are you calling time right there? Get the ball back, throw a pitch, zap, straight off the hitter, straight off Angel Sanchez was the hitter, straight off his helmet, right? Oh. Boom. So it looked like I was hitting him, like I was frustrated, right? I swear to God, I wasn't. I was trying to throw the ball in. The umpire, you're out here, you're gone. I turn around, my arms are up in the air. I turn to the, the opposing team's dugout and they're sprinting at me. It's a bench clearance. <laughs> they're coming at me and I'll take my glove off. Adam Moore jumps in front of me and we're wrestling around. It was crazy. So I get thrown out of the game. I think someone, like, some people were heckling me into coma too. I'm like, like, what the hell was that? You know, And I'm like, oh my God, I just did not mean to do that. Well, here I am 50 pitches into this rehab start. So I'm like, okay, I can't, they're not going to call me back up to the big leagues. Now they've got an excuse, you know? I get in the car and drive home and I'm just frustrated. I get in the car, I get a phone call from Jack. And I got the phone up to my ear, no Bluetooth at this point. I know, I can't remember. Yeah. But I'm, I'm sitting up and, and he's just berating me. He's like, we don't do that. How dare you hit someone? Who do you think you are? You know, basically completely just dismissing my character and not knowing me at all. And I'm like, Jack, let me speak. Jack, let me speak. He goes, I, I don't want to hear you. You know, you, you don't get a chance to speak like this. And and I was I nearly drove I nearly veered off the road. I swear to God, I was like, you gotta be kidding me. And so then I'm like, what the And I'm sitting there on the phone going, Hold on a second. And then he goes, You can go right back to AAA tomorrow. I'm like, What? All my stuff's in Safeco slash T Mobile, right? I'm like, Okay. So I go home that night, I'm like, Where do I go tomorrow? And I even I text the trainer, <laughs> Rick Griffin, I'm like, Rick, where do I go? And he said, Oh, hey buddy, I think you should come get your stuff and leave. Ouch. I'm like, Are you kidding me? And I'm like, so I go back to AAA the next day. I go apologize to Arnel Sanchez. We talk about it. He's cool. Talk to, I talk to the whole team. I have them all in the dugout. And I say, guys, I'm not trying to hit this dude, blah, blah, blah. Um, my manager, Darren Brown, I spoke to him. He was cool. Umpire wouldn't speak to me, right? So then <laughs> my, parent, my parents are flying over to the States because they're from, from, sorry, from Australia to the States. We're supposed to go on an East Coast trip, like Baltimore, New York, Fent, uh, Boston. So they've never been to the East Coast. So they're coming over, flying over. While I'm getting optioned down, right, to AAA, they're flying, so I get optioned down, they're flying over, and I said, guys, you're going to have to change your flight to Reno, Nevada, where I have a, where I have a, yeah, where I have a 10-game suspension, so not only do I get optioned down, I get a 10-game suspension on top of that. Are you kidding? Oh, no. For for hitting the dude in the head. And I'm like, and I tried calling Jack after that, he wouldn't answer the phone. And I'm like, so I've just been buried in AAA. I'm like, so I'm so angry. I'm so pissed, Right. So every every game, I never forget. I had a reason. I'm like, I'm gonna shove it up your ass. That was how I felt. <laughs> so every game I pitched in AAA, I just dealt. I was just like zap, zap, punching tickets. Felt amazing. <laughs> Finally, a, a month later, someone gets injured. They're like, oh, I think Ryan's ready to come back. All this rubbish. Oh, he's right? ready. He's ready. Yeah. I yeah, get back sure. up there, storm in that clubhouse. I'm like, and and Jack walks past my like, Jack. We need to talk, man. And he goes, oh, no, it's water under a bridge. I'm like, no, it ain't. No, it ain't, mate. I've just been through hell for the last month, right? Um, because I've been stuck in this position where I can't talk. You know, I, I'm not about, like, I need to talk to people when something like Right. And anyway, so I get, I get up to the bullpen and Rick Adair goes, oh, good to see you, buddy. I'm like, no, it's not, dude. Like, come on. You didn't contact me once while I was down there. So don't so He goes, oh, what about the stuff we're, we're working on? I, I, in the middle of my warm-up pitches, I turn around and said, Rick, Mate, with all due respect, I'm going to pitch this way and you're just going to stand there. That's what I said. So I was a prick. I just turned into a prick. And I went on this street. Which is not your natural state. It's very no, important to... But it helped me. And, and I know I keep bringing up Grant Balfour's name. Grant's one of my best friends, by the way. We're groomsmen at each other's weddings, right? So 
he he instilled that in me. I was on the phone to him every other night, man. I was in such a weird place. And um, every game I pitched, I'm like, it was basically, you know, pointing fingers, F you, F you, F you. That's <laughs> how fuck it you, was. Fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. You're yeah, cool. Fuck you. <laughs> that's how it was. And it just put me on this roll. And I, and, and every, you know, Wakamatsu or, or Jack would be like, oh, yeah, Ryan really needed that break. Uh, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, don't try and turn this around. Like, you guys did a great thing. You had you guys. You, you know, it was an excuse for you guys to option me down, right? And ever since then, I'm like, I've got no respect whatsoever. You know what I mean? For for, for that rubbish. And, and that kind of, honestly, kind of carried into, uh, into 2010. And when things weren't going, when I didn't have people around me like Mike Sweeney, Russell Branion, Ken Griffey Jr., people like that, it was hard. It was really hard to, to live that way and be so resentful. You know what I mean? So, yeah, it just sounds poisonous yeah. as far as like... That's how I feel about every other podcast host who's been trying to hold me down. No respect for them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, 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 you know, it's funny. And then after 2010, they said, take this offer. Here's an offer for next year as arbitration eligible or we're going to non-tender you, which they do. And um, again, you know, Jack, the way he was handling that with me was just brutal. It was just brutal, you know. And, and my agent, I didn't want to leave Seattle. No way. And my agent said, don't take this offer. I was like, really? I, I don't want to leave. This is crazy. He said, no, don't take this offer. We'll go somewhere else. And I'm like, eh. And I remember I was sitting in the theater room of one of the creators of Modern Family. And I get, I'll check on Twitter and they said, whoa, um, whoa, 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 <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's that a very casual thing to just drop <laughs> no, in. No, no. Well, yeah. I, I didn't mean to name drop there at all. Um, but yeah, it was to a friend um, that, yeah. So I'm sitting there because I was living in Los Angeles at that point. So, um, yeah, Chris Lloyd, his name is. I don't know if you... Um, yeah, so it's Steve Levitan and, and Chris Lloyd, but Chris Lloyd's one of the co-creators of the show. So, but um, I, was, I was watching a Lakers game at his house, and I checked on Twitter, I'm like, oh, I just got non-tendered. I'm not a Mariner anymore. It was brutal. It was a oh. sad day. It's a tough, tough way of dealing with, and just a misreading of the personnel that you have like you would have totally squashed that beef and big time 100 percent. even if 100%. even if they were like we thought you were in the wrong like you should have taken a second more to calm yourself down before you threw that bit like there are ways to have that conversation but the, to the, not the, have it at all is just the, toxic. that's the, that's the strange part that's something i could i just couldn't get over the fact that we haven't spoken since that phone call on the i5 um where you're brutal. being berated and yeah. not allowed to speak. It was so weird. I was like, no, 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 I need to speak. Let's go. Like, we need to talk. This isn't crazy, you know? It was brutal. So, anyway, crazy. Well, I, for one, am shocked that the man who wouldn't let <laughs> you speak on the phone was not a very good general manager. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, anyway. There you I go. mean, well, I, I feel like Jerry DePoto on, that, on, his... on that note, but yeah, anyway. Jerry DePoto wanna... on his worst day, I think, would know more than to do that. I, I can't... I mean, I know that there are a lot of people who sandbag DePoto as being silver-tongued or whatever, but I can't... I cannot see him calling up a player, berating them for half an hour, and then being like, you're not allowed to speak, and also we're not going to talk again for the next month. He, he might just... do that. He may do that, but then he'd explain himself and, and talk it out right. a week later, two weeks later. And the other thing is to... That's one thing that the, this front office is completely different. Talking to players, you get sent down. There's still communication. You right. know, maybe that's a new, th new generation of how they do things. Um, but that's definitely something that they do really well. If you know, at the very least, they're very they communicate like crazy. You know, the fact Scott Service went down to see Justin Dunn and Fraley 
you know, in Florida and have dinner with them is just weird. You know, in a great way. Is it? It's awesome. I, it, that never happened. I'm talking big prospects too. Back in when I was young, no way. Not, I'm not. I'm not. Trust me. I'm not expecting someone to you know come down to Australia and go check out <laughs> the Opera House. But I'm saying like. But you know what I mean? Um, I think uh, people would be quick to sign up for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. But um, no, I'm talking about like, you know, back and I, I, I went back to some of the big prospects and they didn't get that treatment. No way. No way. I got a wow. phone call saying, oh, how's the off season? Do you have a good Thanksgiving? Yep. See you in March. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or see you in February. <laughs> Great, thanks. That's how it was. Do you guys yeah. have Thanksgiving in Australia? No, we don't. We no. don't. So, no. Yeah. That's, no, we do not. We do not. No, I'm joking. Yeah, no. It's, it's, yeah. <laughs> no, we don't. Cool. Well, Ryan, well, I think we've covered basically everything there was to talk yeah. about. We tell us uh, all t- corners of the earth. Tell us where to, or tell the people where to find all of these things that you're putting out into the world. www.thetopstep.com, and you you click there, and you just click podcast, and and you know I've got everyone from Marco to Randy Couture, the MMA fighter, to. James Paxton, um, Dan Altavilla, Rick Riz, you know, a bunch of different, John Ryan. It's it's been fun, man. It's it's really helped me out during this uh, quarantine to have those kind of conversations and hearing these stories. And uh, that's one thing, man. And I I call it the top step, the podcast, because, you know, I say this in the intro too, but I'm not lying. My favorite time of being a major league player was on that top step, hearing people's, Mm -hmm. you know, talking about things and conversations about non-baseball things and hearing their journey and where they came from i used to sit on that top step all day and just get lost in stories so that's what that's that's what that podcast is all about and it's been a lot of fun and check it out it's been awesome fantastic and also for anyone listening in australia who wants to get started in australian baseball next gen there you go go to nxtgen.com and you can check it out. But um, oh, I'm definitely definitely pumping this 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 episode back home. Believe it for sure. Fantastic. This is fun. This is a lot of fun, guys. I really appreciate it having me on. We appreciate having you here and telling us stories. And um, you know, hopefully, we're in a much. <laughs> it sounds like we're in a much better place. Just because that bar is so incredibly low, sounds like we're in a better place <laughs> yeah. now than when you were playing. <laughs> yeah, that that's true for sure. Hundred percent. It's completely different. You know. And the fact that players can speak out on social media and stuff like that, it's great. You know? Yeah, that's been Completely really different. inspiring to see yeah. during this, to have players raise up their voices and oh, not just couldn't... the black players speaking out, but also Everyone. the white players great. speaking out in support. So. Yeah, and you couldn't, 10 years ago, you'd be, it'd be tough to do that. You get, you get a, you know, someone reach out and say, hey man, let's just watch what we see. You know what I mean? So it's good. It's great. So. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Awesome, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, everyone who listened. We will hopefully have more podcasts and definitely more content on the site. So keep your eye on lookoutlanding.com and subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. I'm Matthew. That was Kate with Ryan Roland-Smith. Check out his podcast as well. And until we talk to you next, goodbye.